0: Once again, welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Ben, and uh, yes, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and I'm the youth director here, and I also just started on as the dinner church director. So we had our first, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really exciting. We had our first training this morning where we had some discussion time, and it was just more of an introductory one. But we have our next one tomorrow, as Rich said, from 5 to 6, and another one from 6:30 to 7. And we'll have those. For the next uh, eight weeks, nine weeks at those times. So you're welcome to join us. It'll be a good time. Yeah. And so we're having this dinner church in which we will be going into Magnuson Park and fellowshipping with people there. We'll be having communion, meaning eating, fellowshipping, sitting around the dinner table, and conversing and living life alongside them. As I said before, it's in Magnuson Park, and as many of you probably heard, there was a tragic event that occurred in Magnuson Park last Sunday in which a pregnant mother was uh, shot by two police officers in front of her three kids. So we just wanted to take a moment of silence, um, and then I will close this in prayer as we pray for them and think about the tragedy that occurred. God, we don't understand the reasons and why horrible things like this happen in our world. And our hearts are broken for the community and even more broken for the children that saw such a tragic thing occur that some children that just lost their mother in the blink of an eye so quickly. And we're there to witness it, God. And so we just pray for that community, pray for those kids. I pray that as a grieving, that they would be able to find people to talk to, that they'd have counselors, that their friends would be there for them, that their extended family members would show them love, that the community would uh, wrap themselves around that family, that they, would then, that they would know the love that you are, God, that they would know the love of Christ in their lives. I pray that you would just be with them, that if there are financial issues that they are dealing with, I pray that you would deal with it. I pray that people would just miraculously be present in their lives throughout everything. And I pray that in six months, people wouldn't forget about it. I pray that people would always be there for them. And we also pray for the community as a grieving. I pray that they would grieve well. And that your peace and your Holy Spirit would descend upon Magnuson Park. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we just finished a series, a nine-week series. Sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. Now we're moving into the next series, which is four weeks long and it's called the Summer Mixtape Series. It's pretty much where different members of the staff will be sharing a different story or a different topic that's really been speaking to them lately. And before we look at the passage that I chose, I'd like to give a little bit of a background and sort of set the stage before we look at it. So a few weeks ago, Brian, the worship leader here, he shared a sermon about the Transfiguration, which is the moment in which Jesus, with three disciples—Peter, James, and John—goes up onto a mountain to pray. And the disciples are getting sleepy, going in and out of sleep, Then in a moment in which they're lucid, they also see that Jesus is glowing, and he looks different. His face is changed, and he's walking next to two men, and those two men are Moses and Elijah. Two huge figures in the Jewish faith. So Peter is super excited, and he gets up and says, Hey, can we build you a tent? And then, right after he says that, a cloud comes up from above, goes over them, and says, And it's God saying, This is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. And then the cloud disappears, Jesus goes back to normal, and Moses and Elijah are gone. And everyone's just like, Whoa, what just happened? And Brian shared with us how the disciples and Jesus had this mountaintop experience. They experienced an incredible spiritual high, and yet afterwards, they still had to go back down to the mountain, back to their regular lives. It's incredible that Moses and Elijah were there. You know, Moses was the father of the law, the one who brought the Ten Commandments. All the laws in the Old Testament were written down by Moses, delivered to to him by God. And then there's Elijah, the father of the prophets. And both of them were involved in fights and violence and just doing crazy, miraculous things. Like Moses, he brought the Jews out of of Egypt. When they were slaves there for 400 years, they were held captive. Then Moses was brought in by God to deliver them. And there were 10 plagues. And many Egyptians were killed, and then Moses parted the Red Sea, and then they went into the wilderness, and they wandered around for 40 years. And during that time, some of the Israelites rebelled against Moses, and then, oh well, a couple different times they rebelled against Moses. And one time, a fissure opened up in the earth and swallowed the rebellious people. Then there's Elijah, who Greg talked about a few months ago, where he, he uh, got into a competition with the prophets of Baal. He challenged them. He said, hey, let's see whose God is real. Let's make our separate sacrifices and then, whoever's God's real will bring fire down and consume the sacrifice. So, the prophets of Baal set up their sacrifice. There were 450 of them. And then they start praying and they start hitting themselves and doing other sacrifices, saying, uh, Baal, come down, bring fire down and consume it. Nothing happened. And then Elijah came up, prepared the sacrifice, and then just to rub it in their face, threw water all over it. And then asked for God to bring fire down, and that happened right away. Fire came down and consumed the sacrifice. And then Elijah, in his anger and getting all worked up, he killed all 450 of the prophets. Or he had them killed. All 450. And then a few years later, there's a new king in Israel. And once again, this king is following Baal, and he gets sick. And so he sends for a prophet of Baal to come and pray for him for healing. And Elijah gets angry and says, how dare you go to another god whenever your god is Yahweh, the God of Israel. You've rejected him. So because of that, you're going to die. And then the king, of course, gets angry and is upset with Elijah. How dare this random guy say that to me, a king? So he sends 50 soldiers to go capture Elijah. Elijah's on this hill. Soldiers come up. And then Elijah has fire come down or, and consumes him. Kills 50 soldiers. Bam, just like that. So he sends 50 more. Once again, the same thing happens. Fire comes down, consumes the soldiers. And then a third group of 50 soldiers comes up, and this time Elijah consents to go with them and goes and confronts the king. So that's what the disciples had in mind when they saw Moses and Elijah. They saw two heavy hitters in their faith that were standing next to Jesus. And as many of you probably know, the Jewish expectation of what the Messiah would accomplish was actually completely different than what Jesus did. They thought the Messiah was going to be this warrior king who would come through and deliver them from their Roman oppressors. That he would show all the people around them, all the other religious groups who had been mocking them for believing in one God. He would prove to them all that they were right and they were all wrong. They would finally be proven right in the eyes of everyone. And that's what the Messiah would do. He would deliver them. And by seeing Moses and Elijah, they can't help but think, that's it, this is the Messiah, it's been confirmed. Two people who delivered Israel, both spiritually and physically, multiple times have come down and confirmed that Jesus is the Messiah, the warrior king. So let's read the passage for today. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, sorry, if you have your Bibles, it's Luke 9, 51-56, and we also have it up on the screen. So when the days drew near for him to be taken up, God, I pray um, that we would just have open ears, open eyes, open minds as we contemplate the story and apply it to our own lives and be with me and help me to communicate well. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, how many of you have ever experienced something that completely and utterly transformed you? Maybe it was a spiritual high like the mountaintop experience, where your life was forever changed, or maybe it was just a really something that got really you really excited about what was about to happen, or maybe Something happened and you realized what was really ahead of you. That the days in front of you were going to be difficult. You see, when the disciples went up on the mountain with Jesus, they came away with different perspectives about what was going to happen in the future. The disciples were pumped because the Messiah was here. They are about to go and vanquish their Roman oppressors. And then there's Jesus. Verse 51 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, This is talking about his imminent death and resurrection. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I love that part. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. It doesn't seem like he was super excited, like, yeah, I'm going to go run over there and, and die. The image this invokes in my mind is that of Jesus like resolutely turning towards Jerusalem, his face anxious, his thoughts a storm of emotions, and his body weary. Yet he resolutely looks at the path laid out in front of him and takes a step forward. This is one of my favorite verses. So remembering that, let's look at three things that really stood out to me in this story. First one is the intentionality of Jesus. You know, they didn't have to go through Samaria. So the intentionality of Jesus in going through Samaria. The second one is the disciples' reaction towards rejection. Then the third one is Jesus' reaction towards rejection. As many of you know, Samaritans and Jews at this time period did not get along. In fact, throughout the Gospels, Jesus seems to be talking about that a lot. He's always going into Samaria. He's always referencing the Samaritans in parables like the Good Samaritan. We hear about them a lot. The Jews and Samaritans did not get along. In fact, it was more than just they didn't get along. They actually hated each other. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus Who was alive in the first century? He records times in which Jews coming from, uh, who are traveling through Samaria, actually got killed by Samaritans. See, there's an intense hostility between them. And here's a map of that area. Can't really see the colors super great on that screen, I'm sorry. But next to the Sea of Galilee, to the left of there, is where Galilee is located. That's where Jesus and his disciples were. And underneath that, that purple area is Samaria. That's where they're walking through. Then the light blue area is Judea. And Jerusalem is located in Judea. You see, most Jews who were in Galilee would typically go around, around the right side, around the eastern side of Samaria, and not go through Samaria if they're trying to get to Jerusalem. They wouldn't go right through. But as we know, Jesus was never one to let that hinder him. He was always going to the outsiders, to the marginalized. So as they're walking through Samaria, night approached. And so Jesus sends some messengers ahead of him to a Samaritan village to see if they can receive them, if they can sleep there. And then the Samaritan village rejects them. And that's when we have the anger and the angry outburst that comes from the disciples. I always think it's interesting how Jesus went there because it's not a very comfortable situation to go into. Going around Samaria would have been a lot easier. But Jesus is always leading us into uncomfortable situations. So what's the history behind these two that led to that uncomfortableness? You know, the Israelites used to be one nation, And then they split hundreds of years before this story into northern Israel, southern Israel, also known as Israel and Judea, or Judah. Over time, the northern kingdom assimilated a lot more with local religions and local people, and they became, in the eyes of their southern brothers, uh, uh, like hybrids of sorts. They weren't pure Jews. See, originally the Samaritans were Jews, but over time, their capital was Samaria, so over time they became, began to become known as Samaritans, and that's why they're known as Samaritans now. When the Jews began to build the temple in Jerusalem, they said, this is where the worship of God will occur. Nowhere else. God is located in this temple in Jerusalem. Then the Samaritans were like, uh, no. We're not going down to Jerusalem to worship God. So they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And they said, that's where true worship occurred. So now they're arguing for centuries about where true worship occurred. In Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. And that's what Jesus was leading the disciples into. I'm sure as the disciples were going through there, they felt a bit uncomfortable. Here they're surrounded by people who think completely different than them. And not only think completely different, don't really like them. They might have uh, prejudices against them that are either earned or maybe not earned. They were not getting along. But that's what Jesus brought them into. And whenever in that uncomfortable situation, whenever they faced adversity, how did they respond? There were two different types of of reactions. There's reactions of the disciples, which was anger. So my question is, how do you respond in uncomfortable situations? Because that's what really matters. I think that we've been called to be uncomfortable sometimes. That's normal. It'll be normal to be uncomfortable. And as we're opening up the dinner church, there are going to be times where we sit there and we just feel awkward, uncomfortable. People are thinking differently than us. They have a different worldview. They believe different things than us. So the disciples when they're uncomfortable and face adversity got angry the two disciples mentioned in story are James and John they were up on the mountain and witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus just a few days before this so remember that in mark James or sorry in mark mark calls James and John sons of thunder meaning hotheads <laughs> meaning they would get angry really easily so when the Samaritan village rejected Jesus, they are probably thinking, how dare these Samaritans reject the Messiah? Don't they know who he is? We should teach them a lesson. Let's call fire down on them like Elijah did. Interestingly enough, some of the older manuscripts actually have that at the end of their sentence. It says, can we call fire down on them like Elijah did? For some reason, they seem to think that those things that Elijah had done had rubbed off on them, that those powers of sorts had rubbed off on them, and they were now able to do that. What I find fascinating is that they were right. Jesus was God, and the Samaritan village had just rejected God, just like what happened in Elijah's day. They just rejected God, and there was biblical precedent to call down fire. <laughs> but Jesus still rebuked them. I think that it's the heart that matters. I think they were trying to be right. Sometimes in situations, we just want to be right. We confront somebody, somebody who has a different view than us, and it really bothers us. And at first, we're just discussing it. Then after time, we're like, man, this person's so stupid, you know? Like, can't they just see that I'm right and, and they're wrong? We just get to the point where we don't even care about the central issue as much anymore, as much as we just care about being right? As many of you know, I worked in a, a country in Africa for a few years before coming here, and it was 99.9% Muslim. It was awesome, and I loved my time there. And we would get into debates, especially at the beginning, we would, I'd get into a lot of debates about Trinity and Jesus being the Son of God and the Bible being corrupt. It took a while for me to realize that was a pointless argument. But during those arguments, I'd get really frustrated sometimes because I'm like, I wish they would just know that I'm right. Eventually, I wasn't even trying to be Jesus-like. I was just trying to be Right? <laughs> It bothered me inside. I was like, man, I just—I can't wait for them to know that I'm right. You know? Like, how horrible is that? And I think we think that sometimes. I don't know if I'm... Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But that's what the disciples were probably thinking. So what was the reason behind their outburst? Was it just anger towards them in general? Had they been traveling through Samaria a while now, so they were just boiling over with righteous indignation? I think... The disciples were thinking, we've been debating with these guys for centuries, and here's our chance to prove that God is amongst the Jews and not the Samaritans. So let's call fire down on them to prove it like Elijah did. Either way, whatever their motive was, it wasn't good, because Jesus rejected them. And the reaction of Jesus is the one that I find most convicting. We talked in the beginning about how he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem, towards his betrayal and death. And here, this Samaritan village rejected him. Jesus was going to die for everyone in the whole world, even for this Samaritan village. I would have been so angry, like, are you kidding me? I'm doing this for you. I'm sacrificing my life for you. I'm sacrificing all this time for you. I'm doing all this for you, and you won't even let me sleep in your village. This is a reaction I think we must always be aware of in our own hearts and our lives. As we begin to sacrifice time, energy, and money, sometimes we start to think that somebody owes us, and we want the person to know that they owe us, or that we're doing this for them. Once again, when I was in Africa, I was trying to open this, Well, we were trying to open this English school, and I kept on getting roadblocks from the government, they were, uh, like, pretty much I was just getting sent from office to office, like ping-pong table. I was just getting hit back and forth, back and forth. And it was weeks and weeks of sitting in hot offices, sweating like crazy, always hungry because I was just sitting there through lunch hours so I could actually talk to person only to have the person say, oh, you know, actually, I can't do this. Go to this person. And then go to this person. And eventually, I was just like, don't they know I don't have to be here? Don't they know I'm here to help them? I don't have to be in this hot office, I could be in America, well I was going to say in an air-conditioned place, but it's a little hot in here for that, but in most other places. I could be having a nice hamburger, because that's what I really dreamed of when I was there. I didn't have to be in that situation. How many times do we think that? Like, this person doesn't realize how much I'm sacrificing for them, I wish they would just acknowledge it. become somewhat entitled. But Jesus, throughout his ministry, was rejected by many people, not just this Samaritan village. In fact, the biggest one was when Peter rejected him. The number one disciple, or the most popular one, the most well-known one, rejected him three times. (laughs) And Peter knew who Jesus was. The Samaritans didn't. That's way worse. Yet Jesus still used him. He still forgave him and still allowed him to be central in the growth of the church. As Jesus continually leads us into uncomfortable situations and allows us to learn from those around us, we're going to confront people who have different opinions in us. How many of us have been in situations like this? We are going to be in more situations like this. And the way we react is so important. Will we be like James and John and try to wreak havoc and judgment on the person? Will we just want to be right? Or will we be like Jesus? who continued on the road towards sacrifice for the very people who rejected him. As we think about this, I think we also need to heed the warning given to us in the gospel. The Jews thought Jerusalem was the center of worship. Samaritans thought Mount Gerizim was. But in John 4, we're actually presented with a completely different story. In John chapter 4, Jesus is once again traveling through Samaria. And this time his disciples go into town to get food. But Jesus hangs out outside the town by himself and is at a well. Well, Then he begins to talk to this Samaritan woman. As they're talking, he offers her eternal life. And then they start talking about the sin in her life. And they're having this deep spiritual conversation. And then this conversation occurs. The woman said to him, this is in John chapter 4, 19 through 21. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The Samaritans and the Jews were both holding so tightly to those convictions that they had. And yet, in the end, they were both wrong. <laughs> Jesus is the center of the faith, not being right, not Jerusalem, not Mount Gerizim. So at this time, I'd like to invite the worship and prayer team up front. We're going to end with a song as we think about this story and uh, uh, contemplate the uncomfortable situations that Jesus is leading us into. The prayer team will also be up front if you'd like prayer. And as we're waiting for them to get set up, it would be great if you could open up your bulletins to the blank section there. We'll have some questions up on the PowerPoint for you to look over, to think about, and maybe if you want to, you can write your responses on the bulletin. But before we start answering those questions, let's end with a closing thought. It would be crazy to assume that we will have completely pure intentions all the time. The disciples certainly didn't. Yet their hearts and minds were changed by time with Jesus, by the coming of the Holy Spirit, and by spending time with those who were different than them. Even though James and John made a mistake and acted in an unChrist-like manner in this story, God still used them. He had grace on them. Please know that as you follow Jesus into these uncomfortable situations, you're going to make mistakes. Your heart is not always going to be right in them. But have grace with yourselves and others and continue to follow Jesus into these areas. James and John did. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. And then one guy named Philip went into Samaria and told them all about Jesus. And then all these people started to become followers of Christ. Then they called for an apostle, for two apostles to come up and lay hands and pray for them. And who were they? Peter and John. Now John, who had asked Jesus if he could call down fire and kill the village of Samaritans, was laying hands on the very people that he had just did that to, the Samaritans, and was asking for God to bring the Holy Spirit down upon them. It's really cool to me, that circle... How God works like that let's pray God thank you so much for your word for these stories and passages that just speak to us and uh, I just pray that you would be at the center of everything we do that our motives would be right that our hearts would be pure that as we engage with other people and have discussions and debates, that always you would be the center, not our desire to be right or our desire to be acknowledged for sacrifice. Be with us throughout this day and speak to us and help us just enjoy this beautiful weather that you've created. In Jesus' name, amen.